Hi, I'm Rebecca Lair. And I'm Amy Choi, and we are the Mashup Americans. We like to say we are where America goes for therapy. And you know what, Ames? I think it's something we really need right now. Like, I know that I do. (laughs) As do I. But you know what else we need are, like... We need the wisdom of the old. You know, the grandmas, the abuelas, the tias, the harmonies, everybody. Because they can kick some serious wisdom. That's the truth, right? And of course, there is a Yiddish word for the wisdom of our grandmothers because, obviously, there's a Yiddish word for everything. Um, I think you're talking about Bubba Maisa. Exactly. Mm, I love the word Bubba. Bubby. Bubby. All of it. Oh, I love it, too. <laughs> you know I love a Bubby or in my family an Oma or your family a Homany. I am so grateful that we can rely on the people who've been through it all and then some already. See, now that's what I need. Me too. Let's do this. So today we're taking a deep dive into our Bobamisa. And we know that maybe they're not true, but maybe they are. So why would we take the risk? My Oma told mm-hmm. me that if I click a fork against my teeth, all of them will fall out. And That's guess, so bad. That's yeah, not good. No. Excuse me. We're going to have a whole episode on dental hygiene. Anyways, guess who never clicked a fork against her teeth again? This lady. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably just eat with my hands forever. Which is actually your preferred method of eating. That's also true. <laughs> well, I support that decision. And you know who else would support that decision is our fabulous guest today, Michael Twitty, the amazing food historian, activist, and chef. Um, he'll be dropping some serious wisdom later. But first, if you've listened to our past shows, you know that we love to ask all of our guests about their Bubba Sometimes people say they don't have one, uh, but please, everyone has one. Everyone. Just give a girl a minute and those Bubba start pouring out. So here are some of our favorite Bubba from our past guests. Ria Sa, Aminatu So, Margaret Cho, Maeve Higgins, and Padma Lakshmi. My mom told me that whistling at night was like a call to the ghosts. She told me that when I was three years old, and I'm still freaked out. Like, whether that's a real thing or whether that was something that my mom just told me to get me to shut up, I'm not sure. But (laughs) gosh darn it, I'm not ever going to whistle at night. I'm still scared. (laughs) If your shoe is upside down or, like, turned the wrong way, like, something bad will happen to you. And that's the thing that, like, keeps me awake at night. Like, I just, I always put my shoes, like, the right way. If they're toppled over, this is like bad, 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 bad. <laughs> Kareen Van Death is real. And you do not put a fan on you when you're going to sleep because you will just never wake up. This is like hugely controversial <laughs> Korean community because people are saying, no, that's bullshit. I know it's bullshit. I don't care. It's true. This is like absolutely not still the case, but like. My uncle was named a girl's name to, like, protect him from fairies. He's only 60 now. But, like, in, when he was born, his parents believed enough to, like, actually, on his birth cert, call him Mary. So that, like, the, the fairies would think he was a girl and, and they wouldn't steal him. him. My grandmother would tell us about minor birds and crows. And their eggs look the same. And the minor bird who was mischievous and wanted to enjoy life would 
lay their eggs in the crow's nest, and then fly off and dupe the crows into incubating their eggs. And so the crows would wind up caring for the minor <laughs> birds' offspring, and the minor birds would just, you know, fly around in the moonlight and sing in the trees. <laughs> and I always thought this was a metaphor for how my grandmother felt. You know, all her children and stepchildren were just, like, off in America or off, you know, on the ship or whatever. And she had to care for all these grandchildren that weren't her children. <laughs> One of the funnest and hardest parts about learning other people's bovomyces is that I've ended up perhaps more neurotic. Like that's a that's a lot. It's more a lot more neurotic. <laughs> and I actually do sleep with a fan on, but now I think about it every single time I turn it on, and I take that calculated risk because I don't like still air. But like it's too much information about all the potential risks. Though to be fair, they're not all about risk and loss. Like some of them are about protecting against those things, and like I feel like so much bovomyces that is about luck and fortune and also just, like, welcoming a new life into the world. I mean, some of my favorite bovomyces are about babies. Well, first of all, I have a pomegranate tree growing in my house because you gave it to me when I moved to my new house so that we would have abundance and fertility because that's what pomegranates kind of represent. It's a true story. So many and seeds. Your pomegranate, <laughs> I know. And now I have this big, beautiful baby as a, maybe as a result. I can't say. There's all these other things that when Clara was born, I couldn't figure out who she looked like. She looks like so many people in my family. And somebody told me this beautiful Boba Misa that basically the reason she looks like so many people are so different all the time. It's all of her ancestors and their spirits passing through her. Oh my God. That's really beautiful. Babies, Bubba Misa, it really got us thinking about like what happens when two mashups mash up to have a baby. So we talked to our friend Phil Yu, who you might know as the Angry Asian Man, and his fabulous wife, Joanna Lee. So Joanna's family's from Hong Kong. They speak Cantonese, and Phil's family's Korean. Also, he's from Northern California, and she's from Southern California, and you know that's a very serious mashup, you guys. Uh, California identity is very complex. It really is. But anyways, <laughs> yes, they have inherited totally different sets of Bubba and now they have a kid, and it's like, who's do you go with? Exactly. And since their daughter Addie recently turned one, a big thing for us Korean people, it felt like a good time to reflect on how they brought their Korean and Chinese cultures into becoming parents. We have a baby daughter. She just turned one. Right after she was born is kind of a blurry haze. I remember those early moments very clearly. Because right after you have a baby, I mean, it's almost excruciating in some ways. And just being completely freaked out. Exactly. We had no idea what we were doing. We Googled everything. <laughs> well, uh, my mom showed up with a cooler. A huge just, cooler. Just a huge cooler of Korean food. It right. was postpartum food. Right. So she came stocked with seaweed soup. I mean, it's just good soup. So, you know, I just thought it was just kind of something you just you just do it because the Koreans say you do it, I guess. Yeah. And then come to find out later when I went to see a lactation consultant... And the lactation consultant was like, oh, I've heard about this seaweed soup. It's really good for your milk. So they're going to start bottling it up, selling it at Whole Foods or something. It has reached the white people. <laughs> Our kid, because she's Korean-American and Chinese-American, you know, and she has second-generation parents, some of that culture gets lost. Like, she's not going to be a fluent Korean speaker or a Cantonese speaker because we're not, you know. A lot of the traditions and the and the superstitions and things like that we absorb, I think they've made their way into our identities like more than we think. You grow up kind of just like tolerating them a lot of times or feeling like, gosh, this is just another thing to make me feel different. 
um, now that we have a child of our own, you start to look back at these things we're made to do. They're not so bad. This whole year, we've done a few celebrations that are based on our culture. At her one month, we did a red egg and ginger party. To be honest, I don't even really know what it signifies. And I was like, hey, I want to celebrate one month. That, w- that month was hard. Yeah. And then at 100 days, we were with your family, and so we did a little celebration. 100 days is kind of a milestone, both for Chinese and, and Koreans. Especially, I guess, in the old days, they felt like that signified that the baby has enough immunity to be out in the world. You know, I, I never thought I'd really, really into that traditional stuff. But uh, the more that, like, we grew in love with this kid so much, I, I realized that how much we wanted to pass down, preserve, instill, and celebrate, like, where she came from. Plus, she just looked really cute in the Korean traditional outfit. I mean, for me, it was just, like, it was just celebrating the fact we kept this girl alive for this long. And we made it through. We made it through. Because it's... It was hard, and it, it, it kind of made it cool that we had traditions to draw on. You know, it, I feel like that did connect us to that time when, for our parents, it was also probably pretty hard. Oh, I love this. I mean, as you know, and we've talked about before, I also had dolls for both of my kids, and those are just such special, special times for us, and, like, it was really nice to celebrate that milestone with this tradition. Right, and not take for granted the fact that all these milestones are happening, right? To be grateful for them. And I think that's exactly why we chose this as a speed round question, right? Because it ties us to our future and our roots in a way that's so human in its silliness and its profundity. Which is why we are so excited to have our guest today, Michael Twitty. He just happens to be the ultimate mashup. It's usually like, he's black, he's gay, he's Jewish, he's Southern. Okay, but I'm a little bit more than that. I'm a border crosser. And I think that that's kind of what we should be as people who are living in modernity. He's a Hebrew school teacher, a writer, and a chef, and his passion is learning about his own history through his southern food roots and vice versa. His book, The Cooking Gene, A Journey Through African-American Culinary History in the South, was recently published by HarperCollins. His most recent project have him cooking in the kitchens of plantation houses in the South, cooking in the exact places and using the same tools and gardens as his enslaved ancestors. Oh, and cooking for mostly white tourists who come to visit. It's emotional, backbreaking, and totally illuminating. He is exactly the right guy to talk to us about Bubba Misa. First, he knows way more Yiddish than either of us, which is to say, I don't, I don't know any Yiddish. Neither do I. He knows Yiddish, period. <laughs> period. <laughs> Not just Second, more. He's, <laughs> he's already in the fam because our friend Joe Nathan is his mentor and was also part of his journey to converting to Judaism. And third, and probably most important, wisdom could be his middle name. Michael Twitty, what is always in your fridge? Oh, scallions. Scallions? Why scallions and ginger. I'm vibing off of this right now. This feels very much like Mm -hmm. my kitchen growing up. If you look at a lot of West African food, it has some of the same building blocks as East Asian cuisines. Even going up into Korea. By the way, I was on Korean broadcast television. Shut the front door. On a a show called Food Odyssey. What was this like? I did barbecue. And they were telling me about their barbecue. And it was cool until I saw they focused all on my feet. And I had some, I had some talents, honey. <laughs> and they were just like, I was just like, 
Wait, you didn't go to the spa before? No, honey. I was on a plantation in Virginia. I wanted a pedicure so bad. I was like, I was like, close up for 30 seconds on my claws. I'm just like. Uh, they're like these black gay Jewish men from America. Their feet need some work, right? I'm like, yes. I was just like, focus on this cute face. Don't focus on the talent. Um, where do you feel most at home? I feel at home in the moments when I don't have to perform. I can just be. Mm-hmm. And I have to put away parts of myself to make other people feel comfortable, mm-hmm. which I wouldn't do anyway. But I mean, it's a struggle and it's a fight just to represent. You know, so often there's this pressure to be the best version of that all the mm. time. Like, if you're the only gay guy in a room, do you have to be like, I'm a great gay, <laughs> you know, or like when you're the only <laughs> black guy in a room. In Jewish spaces, it's particularly annoying because people look to see how Jewish I actually am. Yeah. And they, they look behind me, above me, below me for my Jewish performance. And I know what they're thinking. He's Jewish enough or he's not that Jewish or he's really not Jewish. And then there's those people who just go, okay, hey, you're here. You're part of us. Join us for this. Join us for that. That's where I feel very much at home. Food is always a way to bring me home. Just talking around the table, cooking with people. You know, people trust you to jump in the kitchen with them and get to work. That's where I feel like, okay, I've made it. You know, so if you have any grandmas you want to, like, lend me for a while, please let me know because I'll be happy to do that. Oh, my gosh. We are lending grandmas left and right over here. Um, so I want to ask you about bubbies yes. and the bubbies in your life and then some bubba mices. So what is a bubba mice that you believe, you know, maybe isn't true, but actually you believe in and like put into practice in your life? I come from a billion of them. Mm-hmm. I come from poo poo poo, and I come. Oh yeah, from, yes. Wait, what is poo poo poo? Is this a Jewish thing that yes. I don't know yet? Go ahead, Michael. Anytime someone says something, it could be bad because it could happen. Or you want to do a God forbid, you literally spit on your finger three times. You want, it's a it's it's how you get out the um, the the, the citra atra, the evil spirits, the, the dark side. Yeah, it's the evil spirits who go poo poo poo. I also like how then you automatically go into the ugh. Yes. Like all of a sudden, it's guttural noises. You have to. You have it's to. It's all connect. You're spitting. I mean, what are we also going to do here? I mean, this is this is how we create rain in Judaism. Um, I also have to imagine that there's a lot of, like, strictly Southern Boba Misa. Oh, yeah. Before all else. If you don't respect your pots... And if you don't make good food in them, they'll run off. Mm-hmm. They got little, little, little cast iron pot with legs on them. They'll run down a road and never see you again. Literally, I talk to the fire. I talk to the utensils. It's not making it animate. It's respecting the force behind it. Mm. And so, you know, all of our our foods had songs, work songs, spirituals, uh, little ditties, little little wordless rhymes. I swore to God my grandmother was a, was a, was a hooting woman. <laughs> she was no joke. I got really sick one time, and so my grandmother forced me to drink this concoction of, like, some kind of whiskey, a bourbon, a rum number with these herbs that had been steeped into that and steeped in the honey and mixed it all together. It was a mason jar. It actually might taste pretty good, but to a kid, it tasted awful. (laughs) I think I had this cocktail at a bar. Right, right. (laughs) Craft Mixologist did it. Yeah, exactly. And I'm telling you something. I hit it, and my grandmother said, where is it? I said, I don't know. And my grandma was like, you a lie, which in Southern black grandma talk is like worse than being called a liar. <laughs> you a lie. You have embodied dishonesty. And so my grandmother threatened me and she said to me, if you don't tell me where you hid the medicine, 
I'm going to make all of your toys talk, and they're going to tell me where you put it. I just got goosebumps. Like, this is really going to happen. Yes, and I thought so, too. (laughs) So I go back in the other room. She's still standing at the door, not watching me. I bring up the medicine, Huffy, because I didn't like it because it knocked me out. So I took the stupid medicine. Five, six hours later, I woke up. And beside the bed was some ice and a ginger ale, you know, the black Pepto-Bismol. And then this note from my grandmother, and it said, don't do that again. The pig tells all. Well, that scared the living shit out of me. Because my grandmother did not. I'm telling you, I'm telling y'all, in the room, when I went into the piggy bank and got the jar of medicine, I swore that my grandmother made that piggy bank talk and tell all my business. We have a friend who, she's Taiwanese-American, and growing up, she would be, like, telling her parents about a pain that she had or a sickness, and they'd be like, you're inflamed. She's like, it's not inflammation. I have a virus. But, like, now, what is everybody talking about? Everything is inflammation. Like, I grew up eating Mm -hmm. ginseng and ginger, and my parents were like, kimchi will solve everything. It turns out, like, kimchi solves avian flu, and then white people got excited about it. Like, you hear all these, like, Silicon Valley guys being like, I've life-hacked my way into... XYZ solution, and it turns out that that's just actually what people have been doing forever. They just learned about it, but they call it discovery. First of all, when it's us on us, it's not trusting the wisdom of our own ancestors. We seem to have this thing where we look at our our forebears and go, if y'all were so great, if (laughs) y'all knew everything, why didn't you fend them off? Mm. Why did we lose? Why did they drop bombs on us? Why did they give us the cold and wipe 90% of us out in 10 years? Why did they put chains on us? Why did they make Muslim bans for us? And so it's hard to believe that our ancestors' wisdom could save the world. Hmm. Because we know how it turned out. And yet, we're still here. But here's the other part of it. We have to start saying, the source code is mine. The source hmm. code is ours. I'm gay. There's voguing and there's vaguing. And there's soul food and there's soul less food. We got to get them two right. You will never top my grandmama or someone else's grandmama. Their wisdom, their courage, their, their survival instinct. You have to know the right spells and songs for things. If you don't know all those pieces, you don't have an emotional attachment. If you don't have that reverence, then good luck trying. And, I, and it's, not, it's not that we can't share. I think that's stupid. Cultural diffusion is what happens in any healthy society. It's multicultural. But appropriation is real. It is exploitative. They know what the hell we're talking about. As an African-American, I come from the only people in American history for whom appropriation was codified into law. Because if you remember, if an enslaved person invented something, his master owned the patent. For us, appropriation is not an opinion piece. It's a fact. Mm. I'll stop talking about appropriation when you stop appropriating. Somebody said, you guys need to give back computers. I'm like, no, 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 no. You brought my black ass to this country. I ain't going to give nothing back. Uh Uh-uh. You can take back hypertension and smallpox anytime you want. That's right. Well, as as Prince would say, you own your masters or your masters own you. Hello. Hello. How about it? You have a very open eye about... America's true history, particularly about how food and culture have been stolen from enslaved people. And you also have a very open eye about today's present. And, you know, we have read pieces of yours where you said, America is the only place on earth where I'm possible. And that is the dirty little secret behind all of these hate groups. They are here to take away 
the possibilities that America the Ideal represents. There's so much truth in that, and it's, it's also deeply optimistic. How do you stay optimistic? Um, because I draw breath. Mm. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't born enslaved. I was never a piece of property. I never saw my mother violated against, against her will and against my father's will, against my will. That's the kind of stuff that my ancestors had to endure. My ancestors, not generically, the ones in my family. Just to imagine what that would have been like to to watch your a family member get whipped or assaulted and you couldn't do anything about it. I mean, these are things that we don't have to think about from day to day. So for me, the optimism comes from the fact that I am my ancestors' best fantasy. And then if I work hard and do the planning and do the work, then our descendants can be even more better off. You know, we're pushing the envelope. We're here. Your children exist. And your children exist in defiance of a world where uh, immigration acts and social and national boundaries could never have conceived of them. You know, there's something also in not just the optimism, but the strength that you express through cooking. You know, knowing that you have done this residency in Colonial Williamsburg, that you're going to the mountaintop. You've been cooking in slave kitchens. Is that for you? Who are you cooking for? I'm cooking for everybody. And actually, um, one of the most beautiful things that I ever got to experience was when I was at the 2007 Smithsonian Folklife Festival in the National Mall. I had a Virginia enslaved person's garden. And people from all over and loved this garden, very different, all different backgrounds. It was really beautiful. The first person was a Somali immigrant, and he brought his children, and he came up to me and hugged me and, like, picked me up, threw me around, which, you know, he's skinny and I'm big, and he's just throwing me around like a basketball. <laughs> and he was so excited, and he told his kids, we black people grow everything. <laughs> and I just thought that was fantastic. And then I met this young woman. who She was a grad student, and she was Japanese-American. And she says, this is really great. i got to come back bring my friend. So the end of the next week, she brought her friend. Her friend was a German exchange student. This is my friend, so-and-so. Her parents saw the end of World War II. I'm Japanese-American. My grandparents were interred. When I look around at all all these exhibits showing the Revolutionary War and this and this and that, that's cool and all, but your garden is the real America. And I wanted my friend to see the real America. The most, you know, one of the most civilized, educated countries in the world lost all of its liberal progressivism, lost all of its forward thinking overnight, which is a, a damn warning for us right now. Mm. But just for this, this, this woman to say to me, this is the real America. I don't look like you and she doesn't look like you. You're telling a story that anybody can get into. So I guess when I cook, I cook for the ancestors and my neighbors that don't look like me. What's so extraordinary about your work is that you are empowering your many communities and our communities to know our roots and know our stories so that we can be empowered to say, like, this is our source code. You know, Jews are particularly good at this in our inside voices, like the things we say just to ourselves. My family could tell you anything any Jew has ever done. And every prize. Did you know that a Jew did that? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. They won that prize. Did you know this? Like, it's an important part of building our pride and our sense of self and our sense of even as we are persecuted, what our contribution to society is. 
I challenge everybody to do a couple, do a couple of exercises. One is make sure that you have all the narratives that you need to go forward. My book ends with a chapter called Sankofa, and Sankofa is from the Akan peoples of Ghana. And Sankofa is a symbol. It's either a heart or it's a bird with a long neck reaching back to catch an egg on its back. And it's from a proverb in tree that goes, you know, it's no sin to go to your past and fetch what you need to go into the future in a positive way. The seed for the next generation is rescued from the past. I was going to sit down with my mom with this reporter's eye all of a sudden and be able to really delve into her life. You know, I want to ask her really deep questions. My mom died before the book was finished. And so I basically had to distract meaning from what I remembered. And it was hard because I, I didn't have very much. Um, and then the, sec- the second thing is keep track of your own life. Start with your birth year. Think about what was your first memory. You just go year by year, age by age. It's all in there. It's all in your brain somewhere, in the jungles of your brain. You just have to find it. Your own narrative has worth. You are the revelation of redemption humanity was looking for. Every single human being. Our own personal stories aren't valuable once we're old. They're valuable right now. So those are the two activities. Interview all your elders and your family, your tradition bearers in your family, and use that as the, as the narrative that you give to your own kids. And the second is respect your own narrative right now. Don't wait to be, don't wait to be gray to tell it your way. <laughs> I might be too late. I found a gray hair the other day. Girl, I don't found one. <laughs> Wait, but you know what? My you know whole what? head is before gray we, hair. Before Fuck we, before, you guys. Before, before, look, you know what? You know what? That doesn't count. You are well seasoned. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I really can't believe you guys are complaining about a single gray hair. I, I mean, this is this hair is for radio. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> no, it's wisdom coming through your head. Whatever. We'll see about that. But I do feel wiser after these conversations. There is so much to absorb from our bubbies, from our ancestors, from our fellow mashups, our friends, our community, and the stories and traditions they pass down to us. They just fill me. I, I, I feel really grateful. Oh, I love that. Me too. And I'm, I'm going to take another page from Michael. We are our ancestors' best fantasy. We draw optimism from the fact that we draw breath. Amen. Thank you to Michael Twitty, Phil Yu, and Joanna Lee for sharing their Boba Misa with us. Make sure you don't miss anything in the meantime and follow us on all the socials at Mashup American. And that's a wrap. The Mashup Americans are me, Amy Choi. And me, Rebecca Lair. Our producer is the great Lizzie Jacobs. Shout outs. Music this week by DJ Rob Swift and Alot Momin. Our show is produced by American Public Media and Southern California Public Radio, KPCC. Bye. 